Welcome to a special episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Um, For reasons that I will probably explain on the podcast one day, my special number is 13. And of course, because I'm always looking for confirmation bias, I find ways to find 13 where there's not 13. And this is episode 31. And this was not planned to be like this, but episode 31 is with my boss, my mentor, my friend, Aubrey Marcus. Um, It's crazy to think back to when I first found out about who Aubrey was. I was 19. I had just shaved my head and driven 34 hours from Texas to Washington State to spend the summer with my family because um, I started smoking weed and I was reading philosophy and I really felt like I needed to get away from all the people in my life and go read and work out and just not talk to anybody. And um, I was up in Washington State for probably about six weeks, I think. And then the day before I was to come home and make that 34 hour drive, I was on Reddit and I found my first podcast that I ever listened to. uh, And it was Aubrey Marcus on Joe Rogan's podcast, the first time where they talk about his first ayahuasca experience. I didn't know who Joe Rogan was. I didn't know who Aubrey Marcus was. I didn't know what ayahuasca was. And I listened to that podcast and it fucking changed the way that I thought about the world. Like I didn't know that these type of people even existed. And then I Googled best Joe Rogan podcast episodes. And the first thing that came up was Duncan Trussell. And I downloaded every Duncan Trussell and Joe Rogan podcast that they had recorded together. And I listened to all of them for the next 34 hours as I drove from Washington State back to Texas. And when I pulled up to my house in Texas, I was a different motherfucking person than the one who had left Washington State. Uh, My mind was completely open and I was interested in doing psychedelics. I knew that I wanted to explore my mind using these substances. And over the next couple of years, I started dancing with mushrooms and LSD and DMT. And, you know, I started working out more. I started uh, really paying attention to what I ate and I became a cliche Joe Rogan listener. Um, And after a couple of years of that, I remember distinctly, I think I was 24. I remember walking around my neighborhood at night one night, looking up at the full moon and honestly telling the universe that I wanted to help Aubrey Marcus share his philosophy. And now I work for him and I've been here for almost two years and he's taken me to the jungle to do Wachuma and I'm set to go do ayahuasca for the first time at the end of this year. And he's had me on his podcast multiple times. And, um, I honestly feel like I can call him a brother. And he can say that likewise about me. And so it was fucking surreal to sit down and to record a podcast with him where he was my guest on my podcast. And we recorded it in his office during the workday, just completely full circle, surreal and beautiful. And of course, 
as always, this motherfucker showed up. Uh, this episode is genuine and powerful, and it's because he is. Aubrey, I just want to say thank you for the way that you show up in the world. Your light and your example has helped me become the man that I am today, which I know is helping other people become who they could be. I'm forever grateful for the opportunity that you've given me. I love you, brother. Thank you. If you would like to support the podcast, uh, the most direct way that you can do that is to share this episode on social media or to share it with someone that you know that you think it will help. And then to go leave a rating and a review on iTunes. That's kind of the main platform right now that other people will go check out. If I'm trying to get PhD from Penn State to come on the podcast. The person that handles them are going to look at iTunes and see how many ratings and reviews there are. So that's how you can help me get other dope guests on the podcast. Um, if you want to get weekly newsletters from me every Friday where I share what I'm reading, a quote that I'm enjoying, the music that I'm playing on repeat while I read the book that I just told you about, uh, you can go to ericgotzi.com and sign up for the newsletter. And other than that, Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. There are so many places that you could be given it, and I'm grateful that you chose to come here. I love you guys. Namaste. Aubrey, thank you for coming on The Myths That Make Us, man. You're welcome, brother. My pleasure. Your myth has helped me make my myth, and so this has come a full circle. <laughs> so the question that I like to ask people to get things rolling is, Let's say you just did whatever you do that puts you into a flow state. And then I asked you, who are you and what do you do? Um, how would you answer? Wow, that's an interesting question. Who am I and what do I do? I think there's a lot of ways that you can answer that because I think we're um, in some ways a multidimensional being. And that sounds super woo-woo, right? But you can Not look at that in the physical reality and say, okay, I'm part consciousness and awareness. I'm part ego. I'm part body. Mm -hmm. So like, who am I and what do I do? Well, I'm an animal that likes to eat and likes to fuck right? and likes to do things to like to exercise. And I'm an ego that likes to compete and likes to be better than other people and mm -hmm. likes to dominate the physical reality. And then I'm a consciousness that likes to be aware and be as Ramdas says, loving awareness, yeah. like provide medicine, love, inspiration, change for the world. So hmm. I'm all those things. It just depends on where my point of identification is. And I think that point of identification is somewhat of a choice and somewhat of a practice and somewhat of a happenstance and a circumstance when you find yourself in your awareness and your consciousness or you find yourself in your ego the emotions draw you in there or you yeah. find yourself in your body because you're really fucking hungry or you're really fucking horny and then you're just the animal so um you know it really depends on where my point of identification is how would your best friend describe you and what you do <laughs> my best friend well i mean so some of my closest friends, you got to talk about like Kyle, you got to talk about Caitlin and talk about, you know, even yourself. I mean, you've been part of this inner circle, right? People sure. who know me really well. Um, they would describe me as someone who puts themselves in situations 
that are challenging that can ultimately be of assistance to myself, to other people. Um, and I think that's really the the defining characteristic of me. And I think if people really see me, they'll see that. They'll see that from the first vision quest I did 20 years ago when I was 18, you know, till now it's this constant search to go into the shadows to you're looking for the caves i'm looking for the caves and i'm looking for what's behind that and i'm looking for what the possibility is of where i can go and along that process recognizing that the more i shed you know the need to project a certain identity or project a certain way to look at myself then the easier and faster i go along that path yeah how would your most recent closest romantic partner describe you and what you do well fuck man that's a, <laughs> that's a tough one right because then I, now we're talking about me and whitney yeah <clears throat> and so that's the seven-year relationship two years monogamous five years in an open relationship um the best and the worst you know i mean that was that was the that was kind of the crucible yeah. that really broke certain elements of my ego and in that process of breaking is parts of me were ripping apart and and traumas were opened up and things were happening i mean an angel and a demon you know a monster and an incredible lover uh but ultimately like someone who consistently came back to finding truth compassion love yeah you know um but you know really they get she's gotten to see a, the firsthand look of the full spectrum. the full spectrum all the ugly parts and all the pretty parts too yeah. you know i mean the most the beautiful expressions of myself and the most um you know shadowy dark expressions of myself as well so because that relationship construct really you can't hide there's no. nowhere there's nowhere to wiggle around and project something that isn't that isn't real the ego will be smashed it will be smashed and any wound that you have is going to come forward in for that. sure you know like whatever whatever trauma wound need for validation whatever whatever comes is going to be accessed in that type of relationship it's like the the as kyle calls it the ceremony that never ends yeah and look man i mean we've been split up for a few months i'm still in it i still feel the tendrils of attachment for sure still there i still judge myself i wrote that in the newsletter that i recently put out you know how to deal with desire i still recognize that there's some parts of me that are still attached to using her as a mirror to look back at myself right you know even though we're we're split up we're still very close you know we still have a close relationship so i haven't even and i know and i'm i'm so aware of that you know it's like i'm on to myself like right i'm i'm, I'm on to myself now it doesn't mean yeah. that i can stop it completely for sure man but I'm, but I'm on to myself and i think that kind of I, i'm just not interested in that codependent conditional bullshit attached love anymore yeah. i'm not interested in that i don't want that anymore i don't want to be that i don't want to love her in that way right i, I don't want to love anybody in that way right. i don't want to be loved in that way i want to i want a different type of love i want like capital l true legitimate love and i'm i'm just i really 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 want that and uh i'm on the river 
you know, between the shores of that normal, cozy, conditional, reciprocal, I'll do this for you. You do this for me. You didn't do that. I'm going to withdraw my love. Oh, you did that. Now I deserve this. Let's make this transactional, transactional love. Fuck that. Like, I don't want that, but I'm not over to the other side where I just really love no matter what. Yeah. I can touch, I can touch both sides, but I really just want to live. I want to live on the other side where no matter what, I'm in in loving awareness. Yeah, and that actually brings up an interesting point when I asked the first question and that you can feel that there's at least these three strong versions and there's the loving awareness consciousness, then there's the ego, and then there's the animal body. And it's like, it's really hard to be in a loving relationship and just stay in that loving awareness because the body is so activated and the yeah. ego is so activated. Yeah. Yeah, I think the I think what you want to do is you want to kind of you want to kind of marry the body. I, I think the the ascetics had an idea where they were just like, all right, just be just be consciousness, just be the witness, right? Fuck the body, right? Like the body, and it's all sin, it's all it's all all the lust, all of that. Like let's just get rid of all of that, right? Um, I don't think they quite got it right. I, I think agree. I think actually what you want to do is you want to marry your loving awareness consciousness you want to marry that to your body and you just want to allow the ego to kind of withdraw you're not going to kill it you know you'd love it but like allow that to remove that from the dominant position and create like a really strong bond in marriage between your body and your consciousness hmm. and then and then allow the ego to kind of settle and like relax yeah. So that's really interesting to me because I do think the thing that's hidden in the body that if you negate the body, you, you don't get access to it is this like intuition. Hmm. Like there's this wisdom in the body that if you learn to access and accept the body, you get access to this other driver and the ego is trying to like direct where you go down the river. But if you can access the intuition in the body, it's like this much these bodies are millions of years old and they're divine exactly and they've been accruing knowledge for hundreds of thousands of years and like what's in what's in the 98 percent of the dna that the scientists call junk dna right i don't know the accumulated wisdom of the collective consciousness of all time perhaps like right. who the fuck knows yeah like but there's some wisdom in there and i know that and and one of the reasons why i'm sure i like I'm not sure of anything. I'm not even. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure of anything. But one thing I'm very confident in is so I do a lot of psychedelic medicine journeys, and in most of the recent medicine journeys of the last few years, there is such a strong connection between the medicine and what my body does. So if I right. smoke DMT, I have I have like direct connection connection with source consciousness divine source consciousness and like fascia in my body where i'm able to open parts of my jaw my face and of course i could override that impulse it's not like i have no free will but it's really strong telling me what right. to do and sometimes it's like pulling my shoulders back and Absolutely. like opening yeah. my chest or sometimes it's, it's having me go up I, I remember mushrooms when i did a heroic dose of mushroom seven grams i was flapping my arms like a bird yeah. for like an hour. And it was like, that's what you need to do. But it was like a direct connection where my body was talking to my consciousness, right. which normally doesn't happen because the ego is this 100%. intermediary and the, and the intermediary isn't translating anything very well at all. No, It's like speaks a completely different yeah. language than the body does and the consciousness does. But if you can get the body and the consciousness to talk, then I think you're really, yeah. you know, you're really in the right spot. Yeah, and I think that that, 
brings online that there's this other guiding force in you other than the ego that if you, you know, like Jung has a quote, um, the ego's true position is to be a serf to the self, like S-E-R-F. Mm -hmm. And the higher self is that like, <clears throat> is that wisdom that can come out of you if you connect to your body. And But there's just so many people not connected to their body. And that's an interesting thing about on it that like, it's almost like your Trojan, your Trojan horsing spirituality by starting to get people to connect to their bodies. Mm. And then once you connect to your body, you can actually connect to the fact that there's a God inside of you that's trying to guide you that is not the ego. And yeah, this is a thing that we've been talking about, you and I a lot, but it's like, you have to have the ego to get you started. Mm. And, then the, and then the ego's fate is to die. Yeah, it, it, to it the overruns true, its course. Right. Because if the ego is directing the body, it's going to direct it towards superficial means. For sure. Right? It's going to use the body to prove its dominance. Oh, look how strong I am. Look right. how attractive I am. Look how many times I made you orgasm. Like, right. Good job. Pat on the back for the ego. Like, mm -hmm. good job, body, you little slave. <laughs> like, do that. Not like yeah. welcoming the divinity of our own body and appreciating that by the food we eat, by the things we do, by the movement we make, by the way that we act in accord with the you know, the whole collective yeah. the participation in, in everything else that's around us. So I think that's the, that's the way it is. But when the ego's in charge, well, then you get, you know, all you're worried about is your aesthetics and like, and also your performance, like how does this work? But that might get you to start taking care of your body, right. which is good. Yeah. Like good. Use the ego, like allow that to kind of fuel you. But ultimately, ideally you want to remove that and say like, all right, body, like what feels the best for you? Like, is it really important to be that swole and jacked? Right, or is no, it really yeah. important to do this thing? What's like really important? What does your body really want besides what the ego is telling the body it yeah. needs to be to be worthy of love? So this is an interesting thing that I find is that people who have traumas, their body, it's almost they can't get to their body wisdom because there's these like addiction patterns to like embedded in them. And it's like, a part of getting to the knowing inside of the body is to confront the trauma, mm. you know, cause I find that like, there are people who like, if you do cocaine every day or, you know, like if, if you're really doing it for years, you're, you can't hear the real wisdom in your body. What you hear is the addiction that's like mm -hmm. on top of the body. And I think that that's one of the, like why purging is such a strong motif in psychedelic interventions is that like, that part of you has to be expelled before you can even begin to hear the wisdom, you know? You got to look at the body as a collection of cells and a collection of receptors and a collection of... The body is not just one thing. It's a kingdom. It's, it's a kingdom. It's trillions of organisms yeah. from the bacteria in your gut to the cells of your body. Like, And yeah, right, cocaine is an extreme example, but <clears throat> if you follow joe dispenza's work right we're addicted to our own endogenous chemical cocktails mm -hmm. we're in, in, addicted to the chemical cocktail of being who we were like we're addicted to that and Absolutely. that's some combination of cortisol norepinephrine adrenaline a million other different things that our receptor sites for those become addicted to they're there and they upregulate, and they you know the epigenetic we're our own drug triggers. Yeah, yeah, we're our own we're our own drug dealers, and then those little tiny organisms, like in your kingdom, are all addicted and clamoring for their drugs. Yeah, and just like if you have yeast in your stomach, it's going to be clamoring for sugar, you know, because that's what's going to feed it. If you have these receptor sites that are used to some kind of 
chemical cocktail, whether endogenous or exogenous, whether you're bringing in some kind of nicotine, cocaine, Oxycontin, whatever, whatever the thing is, it's going to be, you're going to be addicted in your body and you're going to be clamoring for that. If you're also just going to be addicted to being who you were. For sure. And that's what makes it so hard to change. Especially if being who you were got you some of the things that the ego wanted. Yeah. Then like you the have more, the rationalization for it, for sure. For sure. Then you're like, well, but then you, but, but then ultimately you get that thing and you're like, oh, oh, the void is still there. Yeah. It didn't yeah. really solve anything in the, in the first place. Um, who, or the last two questions that I'd like to ask for this kind of introduction is, um, how would your dad describe you and what you do? My dad never really knew me, you know, not the real me. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, he has mental illness and, um, so he hasn't gotten to see me for the last, since my name was Aubrey. My dad hasn't met, my dad hasn't met me. Um, and I think the me that was, that he saw before that he, there was, there was love there, but there was also, I think he loved the, the parts of my mind that he could interact with. I think he loved, um, certain elements of my athletic, like athletic career and things. But like, I don't think my dad knew himself well enough to know me. Yeah. You know, he didn't know, he didn't know his heart quite well enough to yeah. be able to see my heart not like you know my dear close friends would see yeah you know how would your mom describe who you are and what you do? <laughs> um, just love all the way you know my uh She's the best example. I talk about that unconditional love. She's the best example of that, that, that I have. And it's, um, you know, people ask my mom, people go, they come up to her now, obviously, you know, founder of Ahana and New York times bestseller, whatever, all these accolades that everybody, you know, gets so excited about. And they're like, aren't you so proud of your son? <laughs> and she goes, what do you mean? what do you mean i've always been proud of my son like i don't know what you're talking about yeah like i'm proud oh you you think i need to be proud of him now like i've been proud of him since he was a little baby yeah and that's uh that's not how the world looks at things you know it's not that's not how that's not how that's not the the paradigm that we see and maybe that's why maybe that's why ultimately i've always believed that that's possible yeah even though i've clouded that vision but i i've seen it i've seen it from my mom you know i've seen it i've seen her love never waver no matter what no yeah. matter when i was failing no matter when i was succeeding no matter if i had a good game or a bad game or a, like all the whether i got the best grades or the you know fucked something up i mean i usually got good grades but like regardless like whatever happened it didn't change like the love never wavered she never withdrew it she never held it back she never hid it away she never and i I think that made me believe in a love that's all too typically not human and my grandma who i have tattooed on my arm was my mother's mother and and she loved me in that way and she wasn't always perfect with all her children 
you know but with me she was you know and that love was there in the same in the same way and um so i guess that's given me you know that's given me the proof of concept that uh and i've seen it in some spiritual masters too but it's given me the proof of concept that there's a different way to love and so she would just she would just see that you know she would just see see my heart you know see the true me and and the soul the soul is love man i mean it just it's not soul doesn't love it is love it's yeah the soul is love and that's that's what she would that's what she would see in me you know and um what do you think with your mom and your grandmother what wasn't in the way that gets in the way for all of us when we have conditional love like what is that thing in the way that they didn't have it's really interesting because i don't know if my mom always loved herself unconditionally right oh for you know, sure because she was uh because she was a tennis player and you know she went to the semifinals of wimbledon she's a very successful tennis player but i'm sure she conditionally loved herself right. depending on her performance i'm sure she's had some ways in which so it's not like she was like it's not like they were spiritual masters that right. knew universally right. how to love unconditionally. Like I think, I'm sure they had relationships in their life sure. that they didn't absolutely sure. did not have unconditional love. Right. And, um, and there's people in their life that I don't think they have that way for. Right. I, I mean, I know people that my mom doesn't maybe at the deepest core level, for but sure. like doesn't express that way. And my grandma, you know, it's definitely people that she for didn't. Sure, man why why would they, were they able to access that with me it's like selective unconditional love because there's some spiritual teachers like i, I met dom Miguel ruiz and i saw universal unconditional love everybody who i talked to who's seen ramdas and when you listen to him and you like catch a vibe For of his sure, presence man. i haven't been there like you you sense universal unconditional love and that is true enlightenment. That is that is what Ramdas calls soul land. It's like being your soul. It's being loving awareness. And and that's that's not what they had. They're not they're not in that level of enlightenment. I mean, they're amazing. But yeah. But why? But why with me? Why were they? Why were they able to express that with me? I don't know, but I, I think that's the I think that's the that's the starting point. Like, if you can find anybody that you can do that with, and it's not like a lot of people point to kids for this, but man, I don't see it often. For sure. I don't see parents in for an sure. unconditional love spot very often. You know, like they're very much egoically attached to what their kids are doing and how their kids are acting and what's going on yeah i think they have an undercurrent of it Mm -hmm, for sure but um but somehow somehow there was just a way in which and maybe that was part of this you know again you have to understand that my metaphysical framework of who we are and what it is is probably going to be different than some of the listeners but take you know the premise that souls incarnate with intention right. and ways to learn and perhaps this was kind of an agreement coming in that this was an opportunity for them with me the way that our our mm, codes the saying. way that our codes would line up 
for them to even experience what for them to experience like. unconditional love and for me to experience unconditional love like we had the right combination lock that like when put together this key this key had the yeah. right carvings and their lock had the right locks and so that lock would go in and it would lock an unconditional love and that's the only way that i can that's the only way that i can describe it because um because I'm I'm meditating. It's it's a very such a good question, and I really appreciate you asking that. Because I've been meditating on the same thing. I really want to move to. I know the next step is at least specific unconditional love. Like pick a couple people. Right. Universal unconditional love. Fuck, that's hard. Like good pack, a lunch, off, yeah. pack a lunch. Pack a lunch. You know, like <laughs> go to like yeah. what are you what are you going to do for that? You know, like love without judgment universally. Um, Ram Dass tells a rad story just as a sidetrack. He tells a rad story about that in this lecture that I that uh that he gave. And uh I've been listening to him religiously lately. I know. Too. And he so he tells this story. You might have heard this one. Um, it's about psychedelics. It's episode 110 of I think Be Here Now uh podcast with uh, Ragu Marcus. Um, but anyways, he's talking about how he was working on this unconditional love, loving without judgment. And so he found a guy who had had a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. when he was young and the guy could only communicate by using like an alphabet uh placard like right. a card so he'd have to spell things out and that's a very slow level of communication yeah and when ram das would interact with him he would have judgment and preference for wow this is taking a long time and he it was harder for him to be in that sure. radical state of awareness and love so he spent six months with this guy God damn. Spent six months just hanging with this guy until he could love him in the perfect way that he wanted to love wow. everybody. So like the commitment level, so he would intentionally see, he intended, he was like, oh, perfect. This guy is hard for me to love that way. I feel my resistance. I feel my resistance. Damn. I'm going to take the next six months and I'm going to talk to him. And he's like, <sighs> by the end, we were telling like sex jokes, you know, slowly, <laughs> you know, but like we yeah. were, we were going through and, and like, he was my wow. dear friend, wow. you know, but it took him six months to like, get to that, get to that point yeah. with this person. And I think that's the level of commitment that you have to have to have that universal and um and i don't think that's necessarily very reasonable for me at this point but i think it's like going again back to like let's go back to whitney i want to get there she she has enough there's enough resistance there that i know that that's where the that's where there's some growth i mean i could pick somebody like i could pick somebody like kyle for example um and like it could be helpful but there's not quite enough resistance for me to find the growth but with Whitney, there's enough attachment, there's enough like other factors, and there's enough codependence that's still remaining that I feel like if I can if I can master that with sure. her, then I'm like way ahead of the game. I just want to point something out, and I think Ryan saw it. As soon as you started talking about Whitney being the way to grow, a bird fucking smashed into the window. I've never seen that happen in seven years. <laughs> oh my I've god. I've never seen that happen in seven years. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So here's the thing that I was going to say. That's crazy. That's kind of fucking me up. Um, It seems to be that the heart will bring you to a romantic relationship where it's like, do you want to show up? And like, that's the Ram Dass story. And Mm -hmm. is that if you're willing to show up to the relationship and like you, you dare tell the universe you want to learn unconditional love, 
here's the boss bitch yep yeah you know be careful what you ask for for sure yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing you know it's it's like um when it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you have to choose miserable people to be around either right you know like because every because you don't have to go full ramdas and be like wow this person is a nightmare yeah let me try to love them you know if the idea is i'm going to do like ramdas that's the ego it's really feeling like is that body intuition asking me to learn at the feet of this person Mm -hmm. and then the like if it's if you want to suffer that's the ego trying to play some shit out but the soul will be like all right you've learned what you can here yeah now go on to the next yeah yeah i i I agree with that man i think every when you set your sights on that path i think um it'll become clear where where you need to go and one of the biggest things the biggest transitions as i said earlier i'm on to myself like that's probably the biggest thing that it's even something that paul selig pointed out when we were at dinner before we did the podcast and everything he's like Mm -hmm. you're on to yourself now aren't you yeah man. and like and that's like that means that i'm on to my tricks i'm on to my attachments i'm on to the ways that i get squirrely with my rationalizations and justifications i'm on to the ways that i kind of can be manipulative and shield the truth i'm on i'm on to myself and like it's you know it's it's a it's a funny thing it's like i realize that i'm 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 attached still and it's like i hate that i i hate that i love in an attached way like i want it i want it to be pure but i'm and clean but it's not and it's like damn but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like trick myself right you're not gonna bypass it. i'm not gonna bypass it yeah it's gonna be in that spot where it's like all right well here it is this This is what's going on this is the thing that i've realized um I, I don't know exactly what to attribute it to, but in the last couple of years, my self-awareness, at least for me, relative to where I was, is like just so much higher. But what that does is that allows me to have awareness for the bullshit of my ego unfolding, but it doesn't make it it doesn't make it unfold quicker. Yep. It's just like I still have to sit. And you know, like those science experiments where you put the thing and it starts to like un- unfold and it's mm-hmm. this like thing coming out of hell. It doesn't make it go faster and you're more viscerally aware of like what your ego is doing here and what it's doing there and what awareness allows you to do is not to hide but it doesn't feel like it makes it go faster so you just have to fucking sit mm. well it doesn't make it go fast i but heard, it, heard. if you don't have awareness it won't go at all right because you'll just find the holes to hide yeah so it won't go at all so yeah. it's act that is actually ostensibly slower but I but i think it, it's so it is faster but it's not fast it's still slow as Hurt. fuck yeah you know what i mean and it's like <clears throat> it is it takes the time it takes yeah and that's the and that's the interesting thing like we want i think particularly someone like me and you we want to be able to understand something okay and then we done. got it i'm done <laughs> i understand i get it i get it i totally get it oh, yeah, oh i'm attached i'm attached to i'm attached to whitney so make cool. the feelings go away so let's let's remove the attachment and then and and my whole self is like cool good luck with that like take your time you know like it's going to be a process and and, but the process is like removing one thread at a time and this cord that's that's binding us yeah and really what it might be like the image that's coming to mind is like if you severely lacerate your arm with your awareness you can keep debris out of it but you can't make it actually heal Heal. faster and that feels like 
what this is, is that we get wounds from our attachments and with awareness, you can keep the bullshit out of it, but you still got to fucking just sit with that thing for months for it to slowly heal. Yep. And the best that you cell can do with your awareness is just keep out the debris. Mm-hmm. We will, we love those kind of miracle cures, those miraculous things. Like that's what everyone asks for too. And man. look, and, and the, the funny, the thing is like psychedelics can give us that for a little bit. Like you can go and have a, fully transformative experience on ayahuasca and be yeah. like i'm healed <laughs> for sure uh but you know when you come back to regular life mm-hmm. some a lot of that'll creep in and and you will tend to get more done in those situations than you would normally yeah. because there's some with the purging elements and with the the blistering awareness and with some of the help that you get from what it feels like the doctor citos the little doctors sure. the medicine spirits everything helping you you can make progress and some people can actually genuinely make larger leaps but there's going to be more healing and more work that's sure. why integration is so important and that's why continuing the process is so important and i do think that the large leaps come from people who have had a cut and it's had it's had gunk in it for years, yeah. and you can have one experience that removes all of the fucking gunk, but it still has to heal. It still has to heal. But yeah, and I think that those are the really big power. Like you can feel people who it's like, oh, you have a fucking like two inches of gunk in your scar. Yeah, and like that person can do psychedelics once, and it feels like it's an absolute change of their entire life. But they still have to do the integration work. Yeah, on the other side to switch kind of quickly. What do you remember your first? memory being like the very first thing that that's an easy one for me man my first memory is and i've gone back to this memory in psychedelics that's why i remember it so much it was holding my hands above my head and laying on my back holding my hands above my head and moving my moving my hands and going like whoa like i i am in control of this these hands yeah it was like this uh, this awareness that I was actually in control of my body. Interesting. And that was like a young, young memory. Yeah. From fuck who knows who knows when. I mean, babies do that shit all the time, you know, where they're like going. And I've gone back to that like multiple times where I'm like, oh, wow. Remember that? Remember when you first recognized that you were incarnated yeah. and that you were like, you could move your hands and your fingers? What was the primary emotion with that? It sounds like awe. Awe. It was yeah. like, Wow wow i have hands yeah i can move them like yeah. i'm in control of these things i can make them go this way or that way yeah or like i can do whatever i want with them yeah you know and that was definitely one of my one of my very first memories what i find is that the emotional valence of the first memory is the kind of the overarching character of the ego and like for you it sounds like magician i can make things happen in the world Mm. you know like your life is largely a testament to that Mm -hmm. what do you remember being the first story that you either saw on tv or had read to you from a book or was told to you by like a family friend that you remember as like a child like really resonated with you i remember the first so when i was language i got language really young yeah like really really young like absurdly young so young that like it was it became kind of like a freak show to mm-hmm. a certain degree like i was so young and i could speak in such complete sentences and paragraphs that my dad had a home office he was a commodities trader and he had a home office 40 employees something like that and i would cruise around there as like you know two-year-old three-year-old kind of and 
everybody was so blown away by the fact that I could talk that everybody would ask me questions. And all of these strangers asking me questions started to get in my head and I actually developed a stutter. And I had a stutter as a kid too. And so my grandma had the sense and my mom had the sense to be like, okay, no strangers can not, nobody, nobody can ask, you know, little Aubrey questions anymore. Yeah. And so, and that actually removed the stutter. Wow. Because it was the anxiety of other people talking to me. But anyway, so I had language really young. And one of the things I remember is the first story I remember was stories I was telling my grandma interesting and these stories must have been stories that were part of stories that i'd been told i don't think i completely originated these but it was typically me as some kind of hero saving some kind of damsel in distress like that was the that was the story it was the story of the of the here the knight in shining armor prince valiant who is going and and you know saving the princess interesting and then the first you know and then like the first like traditional stories that i remember are disney's robin hood and sword in the stone like i was obsessed with both robin hood and sword in the stone so those were the two stories that like Interesting. Resonated with me and still to this day. Udalali, Udalali, golly, what a day. You know, <laughs> like I'm fucking still in it. You know, yeah. those those are my favorite Disney movies. So I want you to imagine that you're um telling a bedtime story to either your son or your daughter or a niece or a nephew, and they're 10. And you're gonna tell them you you can pick between Robin Hood or Sword in the Stone. And just like take two to three minutes and tell it as if you were talking to them. Like, how would you tell that story? So actually tell the story. Yeah. <sighs> and again, historically well, accurate is not what I'm looking for. Just whatever. Yeah. yeah. So a long time ago, there was a great king. And that king didn't know that he was actually a king. He just thought he was a boy. Just thought he was a regular boy like everybody else. And he went about his regular life like everybody else. He was just living in a normal way and playing with his friends and hanging out. But he'd always felt that there was something greater that he could aspire to, something more that he could reach for and achieve. But he didn't know what that was. And sometimes he would doubt that. And sometimes he wouldn't believe that there was anything special about him at all, that he was just like everybody else. He was just one of the many. But nonetheless he still felt it. He felt that there was something more that was there. And one day he came upon a sword that was locked in a stone. And many people had tried to pull that sword from that stone, but no one was able to do it. And the legend was that anybody who could pull that sword from that stone would be the true king and the boy had looked at the sword many times and seen many men put all their strength and all their might and all their grind and all their hustle and try and figure it out there's even some that snuck machines in and tried to demolish the stone but the stone couldn't be demolished and the sword couldn't be pulled even one time there was a giant crane that came and the crane tried to haul the sword out of the stone and it felt like the very earth was going to shake but the sword just stayed in the stone 
And so the boy didn't try to pull it. He hmm. just kind of looked at it. And then one day, just he decided he was going to give it a try. Decided he was going to put his hand on it and give it a pull, see what happens. So he went over to that sword and that stone and he grabbed it. And as soon as he grabbed it, he, he felt something and he f felt odd to him and he pulled away and he was uncomfortable and he left that day and he didn't actually pull that sword. <laughs> and then days passed and he kept thinking about it. He couldn't stop thinking about it. And he came back and he touched it again. And this time he had a little more confidence, a little more curiosity. And he decided to give it a pull. And then he felt that sword slide, 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 impossibly so. How is this even possible? I've seen men and cranes and machines. How is it possible that I'm pulling this out? And he pulls it out. And he pulls that sword out of the stone and holds it in his hand. And then the sword disappears. But inside him, the energy and the feeling of that sword being in his hand was now his forever. And we're all that king, son. Every one of us has a sword and a stone. And it's only ours to pull. And when we pull it, it's ours forever. We don't have to wear it on our belt. We don't have to use it for anything to cut. It's not a real sword. It's the sword of our soul's potential. It's the sword of who we really are. And nobody else can pull our sword. Wow, no. Our sword is our sword. And when you're ready, son, you'll pull your own sword from your own stone. And that will make you the king of yourself that you always are. All of us are kings. All of us have swords. And you have yours. And when you're ready to go looking for it, I'll show you where it is. <laughs> you gotta have kids, man. Fuck. God, that was great. So what was your sword pulling moment? You know, it's it's interesting. It's the interesting thing is that there's many there's many swords that you pull. And um I do think that there is that first one, though. There's that... the first one. The first one, the first one was my vision quest, man. The first one was the first time I went off with the shaman in the mountains and did um, did the psilocybin MDMA combination, and um, I didn't know what those things were. Right. Um, and this is 20 years ago, so this is not a, like a popular thing, right? Um, but this is what the shaman who grown up and was part of like Stan Groff circle and a lot of the, you know, psychedelic pioneers is, you know, she was a part of that, part of that group. And, um, when I felt my body evaporate and I felt myself as pure consciousness and pure awareness, and that's probably when I recognized who I really was as, uh, as a soul and that I had a soul. And so 
you know, that had to be the first sword pulling moment. I mean, I had achieved some success in athletics. I'd achieved some success in other things. I'd had interesting moments, but not until I, I was in denial of the fact that I was, you know, a materialist, reductionist, atheist. In denial right? of your divinity. I was in de- fuck divinity. I didn't think there was. I was. I was on all full. I was on a full Christopher Hitchens kind of train, Same. like because I'd seen organized religion and been like, "This yeah. is bullshit," you know, like all of this fear and all of this guilt and like this is terrible. And you know, I was really biased in that point to see the negative aspects of that and also see how manipulative it was so i was on a crusade i thought my job was to eradicate organized religion you know because it was philosophically unsound but with that i had thrown out any concept of spirituality divinity consciousness soul i thought when you died you died you you know you're, you're dead what do you mean you're dead um but then i experienced my body evaporate and my consciousness remain and i was like okay this is something different yeah and at that point I really recognized that, you know, there was something much more to me and that my ability to translate that message um, and how much recollection I had and my ability to use all of those communication skills. Like I was talking really early. I was writing, you know, I remember in sixth grade, I wrote a poem and I got called into the principal's office with my parents because they thought my parents wrote the poem. Mm -hmm. My parents were like, we didn't write this fucking poem. So I don't know what you want, but he's always been writing. Um, like my ability to communicate combined with my ability to reach these non-ordinary states, states, I think gave me my first inclination of like, oh, okay, this combination that I have is actually probably what I'm largely here to do is I'm here to translate the ineffable into something that's translatable and and, and understandable. And I think that was probably the first moment and then I think, you know, I, I think that still that still is there. And I think that's probably the most one of the most important parts. But I think part of the the next sword is that sword of unconditional love. Like, right. Can I like really pull that? And we were talking about how unconditional love is such <clears throat> that's a non-ordinary state of consciousness. It is. And you're going there trying to make it effable. Yep. I appreciate you doing it. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like that really feels like that. That is maybe the most useful non-ordinary state of consciousness to be conveyed to people mm-hmm. is true unconditional love, you know? Yeah. Well, that's God. Right. Right. That's like actual, that's actual, you know, it's very interesting. You know, I, I think... God is a hard word to use because I think really what we're talking about is we're talking because God includes all the resistance, which makes the game possible. God is everything, right? I see what you're saying. So there's an initial split. So if you look at like the, if you look at the hierarchy, there's the unicity, which is everything, which is God, which you could call that love if you want, but it's, you have to have a very, you start to play with the word love. You have to play with the word love at that point. But then you'd go one split into polarity and polarity includes the extremes and everything in between. And that's where you get Jesus and the devil. And that those are useful archetypes and right. symbols for what one extreme of one side of polarity is and one extreme of the other side of polarity. Both are still God, but because they're just splitting right. that initial atom of unicity into the two poles. Right. 
So when what we're talking about is we're talking about accessing the far extreme of the Christ consciousness pole, the love that holds no record of wrong, you know, and that Christ Christ consciousness is, uh, because the other side is, is, you know, resistance, capital R, the devil, whatever, who will just try to confuse, inflate the ego, draw you to power, you know, hold you back. It is, it, it will criticize, you it'll, yeah, it'll criticize, it'll, it's like that side of polarity is the exact opposite. Still God, because that resistance is actually what allows us to play learn and play yeah. the game and move forward. So I guess what I'm talking about is at least touching. I mean, I don't, I'm not, my intention isn't to live there. I don't plan on being a Ram Dass or something like that, but I, I, I at least want to be able to touch it. Right. And like su- sustainably touch it. And, and I, and be the bridge and to be a bridge between like all the different states of ordinary to non-ordinary consciousness sure. i at least have to put the pylons down because there's this weird thing where if you're only of one part of the duality your message does not reach mm-hmm. the other end and like ram das is serving his function but like his message is not even going to reach beyond that halfway point between the mm-hmm. two polarities and to make it effable to the largest number of people, you got to stand in the motherfucking middle. You do. You know, and you have to be able to take a journey all the way into the devil and then all the way into the light. Mm -hmm. You know, that seems to be how you would share it with the most people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think you, you want to go all the way into the devil, you know (laughs) what I mean? But you have to at least know enough that you have to know enough about it Mm -hmm. that you're willing. And I think, um, and you have to recognize that that is a part of you. But For the sure. actions, the actions of choosing to access that part of you. Like I remember in a in a medicine journey, I was working one-on-one with a shaman and we asked for consciousness to take to come inside in our bodies. Consciousness. So basically like God. Let's right. let God take hold in our bodies. It was the fucking scariest journey of all because God is everything and God was the devil. So the devil and this lust and draw for power and this desire to be the most powerful being. It's Aladdin Jafar. Or right. Jafar? Is that his fucking name? Yeah. yeah, Jafar. It's fucking Jafar, right? It's like power, power, power at all costs, you know, like manipulation, destruction. I need to be this. That was one thing that was in me and it was me and that was the scary part and it felt good because it was me and it was there and then there's the other part which is like no man don't worry about that just love and i was like a choice and i was like what do you want to do do you want to go power route or you want to go love route and i was like well i don't fucking go love route but i still had to i still had to reconcile the fact that all of that power all of that darkness was in me yeah so that's the thing like we are everything you know like but our choice as to what we want to access and like where we want to identify you know certainly i'd rather stay you know at least somewhere on the middle 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 right of the of the spectrum closer <laughs> yeah. to the divine side yeah. than in that other because the other side hurts people you know For the sure. other side restricts people's freedom the other side but I think there's ways in which you can touch some of those feelings, you know, in certain expressions of sexuality and certain expressions of competition and certain sure. expressions where you can play and at least know it and at least acknowledge yeah. it. And it's like what you were saying at the beginning, like you want to try specific unconditional love. Right. It's also like there's specific, whatever you would want to call it, like just specific power sh- games. Yeah. And to do it amongst people who are consenting. 
Yeah. Right. And that's what a game is. And like, that's what like trying to do that. And sexuality is also, you mm -hmm. know, there as long as there's consent. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how do you see your current journey? So there's the who you are now, there's the where you are now, and then there's the archetypical place that I want to be. And that's like a core part of all of our psyches. And then there's all of our hypotheses for how we're going to move there. Where do you feel, what do you feel your story is right now about where you're at, who you are, and where you want to be, who you want to be? You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm sensitive enough and I'm committed enough that suffering is kind of my, is kind of like the, the driving force, suffering and inspiration too, but like, I, I'm tired. I'm tired of being anxious. I'm tired of being constricted. I'm tired of not being free. You know, like you suffer until you're, until you're done with suffering. Right. Like I, I just don't, I don't want to suffer anymore. And I want to teach people that we don't have to suffer, but if I'm going to teach people that we don't have to suffer, well, then I have to not suffer. <laughs> like that's the only fucking way to uh, yeah. do it. Right. Like, yeah. how, okay. If that's what I'm here to do is to be the bridge, like, let me at least be in an identification point beyond the suffering point and and be able to access that at of my own volition right but still but still connect with people who are at all parts of the thing like i i can go into a i believe that i can go because i've acknowledged that all parts are parts of myself i believe i can go into a jail and talk to a murderer or talk to somebody else like that and like right understand them where they're coming from or that's an extreme example but understand a wall street tycoon or understand someone who's obsessed with their their ego like all of the different expressions on the other side of the spectrum like i understand that like that's and i can look at him be like yeah all right you know that's me too i sure. haven't chosen to act on that in the ways that you have but i i don't but look i feel at those you, energies i don't look at you as different than me right. i just look at you as choosing a different choosing a different expression of this so i see you and but here's some other options you know, here's some ways that can alleviate yeah. the deeper suffering that you might not be aware of that thing that you keep trying to feed that you think is going to satiate your pain is not but this might you know and, and so i think that's the that's really where i want to go but I, i'm and i think i'm i think i'm doing a uh, you know a pretty good job of bringing people along the way and i think a big part of that is just sharing what's going on and sure. saying like look i'm not fucking there yet you know i'm still depressed it's like here i am all this work all these tools here i am still depressed today yeah here i am not depressed today here i am excited and enthusiastic here i am you know so so that's so i'm happy that i'm taking people along the journey but ultimately i know where i want to go is i want to go to a place where there's a point to this thing you know where it's like no 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 actually actually you can get beyond the state of suffering and i know because i did it and um and that's what that's what that's what i would love to be can you walk me through what a day would look like for that aubrey the anxiety starts quickly for me i reach for it i wake up and i reach for that familiar self and you have that moment when you first when you first like open sure. your eyes and like everything is like oh new day wait there's something i should be upset about exactly and then you go there's something it. i should be anxious about something i need to be like worried about so something i need to like 
reach for yeah. so then i'll you know typically go to my phone oh that's a good way to get back to your personal history right you can scroll through your text messages and look at your instagram and look at how things are doing check the sales numbers for on and look at all these things and then all of a sudden all right there i am back to my old self so i would definitely not be doing that or if i was doing that i wouldn't be attached to it you know like okay. it would be chosen it would be a chosen thing it wouldn't be this like i need i need to get back to the old drug cocktail that is the aubrey of him aubrey of his old self so like this morning uh this morning i did a joe dispenza meditation um but i did it after i looked at my phone yeah and i and when i was realizing that i was like okay dummy like next time do this before you look at your phone so yeah. that i'm not having to deal with the cortisol of actually looking at my phone and looking at the meetings that i had coming up and looking at how who texted me overnight and what the emails that came in or like do the meditation first yeah put your phone on airplane mode so none of those fucking alerts and stuff come through yeah. in the night do the meditation first like duh you know like i should know that I probably even wrote about that in my book, right? Because the science is there, right? Like that's the, like I probably, you know, but like do that, do that first. So eventually I figured it out. I turned the airplane mode on, did the meditation. Then I did my own little medicine journey uh, right after that because I was called to that, which was really potent. Then I um, got some sun. I took my mineral cocktail. So I did follow some things from the book at least. I got some sun, took the mineral cocktail, swam some laps. Yeah. And like, that was and then i clicked my phone back off airplane mode but like all right so that's the start of a day except minus i wouldn't have even checked my phone until i'd gone through all that process right. at the very least like and this is maybe not the ultimate 10 years 20 years down the road maybe then i don't even look at the phone i don't right. even care at all but like for now it would be go through the whole morning and then do the process of the meditation yeah. the light the swim the thing without ever engaging with that kind of cortisol level that For i'm sure. familiar with and, and what's then, beautiful yeah i'm sorry go on. yeah no go ahead what's beautiful is the way you answer that question is actually like the most applicable it could possibly be to everybody listening and it's that we all have this idea of the person that we could be like who like who we would be if we drew the sword mm -hmm. and we can ask ourselves the question how would i start the first three hours of my day if i was that man Mm -hmm. and we could do that tomorrow yep you know yep and you did that today i did and with just one tweak it would have been even better but right. yeah but like but i get that now and it was close enough that i'm like i could feel myself getting it getting addicted to that you know because that that felt really good and i felt a little better going through the day already but yeah. then it's just then it'll be about how i you know because there's going to be resistance that happens in the day but just be curious and be like introspective about how that happens and mm -hmm. try to keep myself from being so attached to the outcomes of these things like yeah. hold faith throughout the day hold faith yeah and then get you know get have some fun you know have some laughs get some training in like do the things that i really enjoy yeah spend my social time you know and then in the evening start the same process phone off evening meditation yeah you know like wind down writing reading you know connecting back to sleep right so it's this cycle of like waking waking with this really new persona riding from you know 
that moment I wake up until the point where I'm ready to engage with the day and the challenges of the day. Right. And then handling those in the best way possible. And then in the evening, winding back down, reconnecting. And, and I think being really mindful of that. I mean, I've been really hesitant to probably because I've been rationalizing and justifying my own addiction to my phone, but I've been hesitant to like disconnect from it, you know? Um, but I think that's, I think it's a big part. It's huge. I think it's a big part. And I think if I can do my start of my day and the end of the day like that, I think I'll be a lot happier. But I think part of, part of the challenge that I've had too, is that the, it's, it's a little bit harder to do that when you're in a partnership too. Yeah. Because like you wake up and you're next to somebody in bed and like, what are we doing for breakfast? And you're like, I don't know. Let's fucking make bagels or a fucking shake yeah. or like let's you know blah 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 or like have a little morning sex or like whatever the thing is yeah. you know all good but it's like it's not that yeah you know it's not that and then and i think you have to have some flexibility you don't need to do that every day i'm not like saying that that's to be the regimen and then the evening all right well you're with your partner in the evening you've been at work all day you've been handling life's challenges you know like that evening is going to take a different course yeah. than that other thing so it's interesting for me. You'd either, I'd either have to have a partner that was really comfortable with knowing that there's going to be, you know, a couple nights where we really break. Yeah, we break the cycle and we're just going out to eat late and going dancing and doing that stuff. But the majority, like the steady diet, is going to be a morning that looks, you know, like meditation and my for own sure. process, an evening that looks like my own process. Um, and to me, what the dream feels like is like she has her own right and evening process and we just go do our things and we come together right and i think that's the that would be an interesting that would be an interesting thing but i think that's probably what you know i'm calling in the most right you know because i think my desire the problem is not even it's just all these desires with the people i've been with to to show off or compete or show like make them be so impressed or love me the most so i'm trying to be like yeah, clever and charismatic you want their approval as right. opposed to your inner god's approval right exactly and that's the thing that i find happens like in relationships before i fall in love i'm caring about the approval of my inner god and that's what they're most attracted to yeah and then there's this shift where i start to care about their approval more than my inner god and then it just it it destabilizes the whole mm-hmm. gravity of the situation and yeah it, it would be interesting if you could just be like i have to take an hour you know, and I'm not going to talk yeah. to you for an hour, but I'll come back. Yep. You know? Yep. I mean, I think that's the, I think that's the move, man. I think that's the move. So I do have some word association questions that okay. I want to ask you. And so whatever the first thing is that comes to your brain, just shout it out. Sex. All right, we're done. Okay. Everyone. <laughs> Hold on, I got to pull them up. All right. Word or phrase that captures your life philosophy. love all the way word or phrase that cuts to the core of who you are awareness what are you most afraid of (laughs) myself what is your most persistent problem myself (laughs) street smart or analytic Uh, i think i got a good blend Slow or fast-paced environments? I like them both. 
Rule follower or risk taker? I suck at following rules. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. I, I may even suck at following prescriptions that I know are good for me. That's a problem. I need to like, I need to, like, I need to balance that one out. That is, one's not healthy. Is your need for control low, medium, or high? Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's low. Like, it's it's easy for me to delegate and release. Like, a lot of I've never been a micromanager, and I don't. I hate trying to control other my partners. And that's why the open relationship. Um, my need to control the future outcomes, though. Well, that's a different story. Heard. So, like that's it's again it's a mixed bag it's like some ways i'm able to release control a lot but have have faith in the future without trying to control it well, yeah okay. right yeah right <laughs> you know that's a different that's a different thing are you more intellectually or physically competitive <laughs> um i mean i've been wildly both like whether it's chess or You're just competitive. i'm just fucking competitive yeah are you more critical of yourself or of others myself do you prefer fast or slow choices? Uh, the it's like slow, it's slow, 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 fast. But once <laughs> once I decide, it like I I just it's fast. I decide for it's sure. fast. It's fast and it's definite. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes I know, and and, and it's quick, like right sure. away. But um. I'm pretty definite, but uh, but I will deliberate on something for a long time. Yeah, especially when I'm trying to control future outcomes. For sure, pressure comes from the contingencies upon which I will love myself. And what does pressure feel like in the body? It's a like an electrical tension. That's somewhere between my chest and the top of my stomach. In my tribe, I am either king, warrior, magician, or lover. <laughs> all <of> the above. <laughs> it all comes down to love, man. Love all the way. Success is. It's a fun game. Love is. Everything. My vision. getting clearer i am i am my purpose bridge the most defining moment of my life i guess it had to be the moment i pulled the sword division quests all right this is the last question it's a two-parter okay you're at the end of your life you know that the next day you're going to die peacefully in your sleep what do you do on that last day and who do you have with you um, I mean, I'd much prefer to n die the Huxley way and like, but what anyways, the two part question. So, so anyways, uh, part one. Well, no, so this is part one. I'm going to ask one more. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I guess it's, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would prefer to have all the people who I was closest with and everybody on some kind of psychedelic or entheogen of some sort. Yeah. And if that's the way I went out, then I went out that way, you know? So it would be like, Hey, everybody, like we're going to do a bunch of mushrooms and I'm really sick. So this might be the end, but anyways, y'all are going to be here with me and we're going to go through this together. Yeah. And if it's not, then 
cool too you know but like <laughs> but either way like we're dropping in yeah. together we're, we're we're gonna see each other soul to soul um and uh and we're gonna smile you know we're gonna smile at the For end sure. of this at the end of all these tears and if you could leave one message on a piece of paper to your children and your grandchildren what would you say <laughs> you're enough you're always enough you did it Thank you. you. Thank you for coming on, brother. Yeah, thanks, brother.